Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Who had a little extra turkey, pie, or ham? Come on, if you did, just go on and throw it up, acknowledge it. You know, the best way to move forward is just acknowledge it. So uh, I, I do, I, I, I love Thanksgiving. I think it's probably my favorite holiday um, because it just revolves around food. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I am a fan of that. Uh, I will say this. Uh, so uh, I, I like the pies. Uh, I've been really doing good. My wife and I have really been doing good for about the last six or seven months, but I did not do good. I reverted to my old ways. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, my wife asked me, she was like, hey, what is your favorite pie? And I was like, apple. And so we began to, she began to work on this incredible apple pie. You know what I'm saying? And so at the beginning, none of my family liked it but me. Then they all started liking my pie. So then we moved to making two pies, two apple, and it's got this crumb topping, you know what I'm saying, uh, some oatmeal on top, it's, 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 it's awesome. And so they eat that pie too. And so we had to institute a ground rule at the house that the last pie, the last piece is for dad. Anybody have that rule? Come on. You, you need to instill that rule. And so now I can hear them uh, in another room going, that piece is for dad. And, uh, and I'm not going to uh, be honest. Sometimes I slow walk it. You know, I just, I just let it linger there for like a day. And they're all like, dad, are you going to eat it? And I'm like, yes, I am. And I want to. So uh, we talked, actually, uh, my kids this year were like, I think we need three apple pies. And I was like, oh, Lord. Uh, so we had a good time. It's just fun. It's fun taking a, a couple of days and just talking about what God has done. And I hope that you have an opportunity and that you took that opportunity to do that. But now it feels like we're back in the real world and you got to get back to it. People were putting out Christmas and people getting on ladders and putting up lights. Uh, I remember as a kid uh, having a weekend like Thanksgiving and going back to school and on Monday there would be a test. And, and I now that I'm older, I realize why people do it. But when I was in junior high, I was like, how evil. How evil. And if you're a teacher here, I'm not throwing any shade on you. But a test on Monday, really, it feels like tests on Mondays just extend school over the weekend. It's, and, and here's the thing is, I was not a good test taker. I was a good test faker. Uh, I mean, uh, like... Uh, and Mondays always caught me off guard. It was like, hey, y'all, come in, sit down, open your book, get your pencils out. We're going to have a test. And I was like, what? What? Oh, what? Who told you? didn't tell me. And, you know, the teachers all had a syllabus, and it was all there. And um, I, I soon realized that there was this whole subculture that studied on the weekend. And uh, I was like, what are y'all? Who are y'all? And actually, there was only like three or four of us that did not study. And, um, and so here's the deal. I had a wrong perspective. When the teacher said it's time for a test, it was personal. 
how could you do this to me? You don't like me. You put it in the hardest, you put it in the most inopportune time. This is the hardest day of the week to have a test. And I would have all these answers. And really when I, as I grew and matured, I realized that I wasn't mad at the test. I was frustrated at what the test revealed. See, the test revealed that I was unprepared. The test revealed that I had been lazy academically. The test revealed that I didn't know some answers. And there was a little bit of shame involved in not knowing. And the grade reflected my input. And so as I began to mature, I realized that, you know, the teacher didn't create the test to expose me. The teacher created the test to, to help me identify what I understood. Here's what I want us to know. Is that many times God will provide tests. Not so that he exposes us. His goal is not to catch us. But it is to help us understand what principles we are walking in. And what we really understand. As we... Look at this. We have been talking and we are in a sermon series called The Generosity Plan. And the way we handle money is a test. And I can tell you that most people don't have a money problem or a church problem or a spouse problem or a child problem, a kid problem. They have a giving problem. Giving is the problem. And here, here is what we know is that when giving becomes a frustration then actually love has been hindered. If love is hindered, then God at some point in our life has been distanced. We have said, hey, we want you over there. We want to come do our thing. We'll come back over here and we'll talk with you when we're, when we're ready. And so as we look at this, uh, the Bible teaches us that God is love and that God loves us. And there, out of that flows all of the good things. James tell, tells us that he is the father that gives good things to us. But there's a test. The test will help us determine where we're at and what we understand. My assignment today is it's more than a test. Come on, say, it's more than a test. It's more than a test. There is... An attraction to money that is deceptively manipulative. We are not saying that money is bad, but a blessed life supersedes money. Money is not evil, but the love of it is dangerous. Does that make sense? The, the, uh, the, the love of it is dangerous and we absolutely use money as a tool, but it is also a test. It's a tool and it's a test. Look, look at this. Luke chapter 16 verse 10 through 13 says this. And I really believe that as we dive into the scripture verse, it will give us a cultural context that truly there is some stewardship involved in our life look at this the one who is faithful in the very little is also faithful in the much this is a concept 
In other words, if I get more, that doesn't mean I have room to be faithful. Actually, when we take care of the little, then we increase. And the Bible is telling us that how we handle our little determines the level of much that we will get to steward. Okay? We can know this on a, a, a micro scale. If our, as a child, we learn to put up our clothes and take care of our room and we begin to manage the little, as we begin to manage the little, we begin to grow. We, if we, we take the tricycle and every night, dad or mom may say, hey, did you put up your bike? Ah, oh, no, it's so complicated. It's so hard. And so the rain's coming down and it's outside. Hey, let's put up our bike. Well, if you never put up your bike and it always got rained on, then probably when you get your car, the windows are going to be down and it's going to get rained on because there are concepts. And God says, hey, listen, how you handle the little will determine the much that happens in your life. Come on, is that good? And so our, our, actually our world has inverted this. And it says that actually us having a little is wrong. And if everybody would have the same amount, then we could all manage it effectively. But that's not what the Bible teaches it actually says, hey, we change our life in generations and there's a stewardship mantle on our life. Come on, listen right now. Okay? Look at this. The one who is dishonest with a little bit is also dishonest with a lot. It's not like I get better character when I make a million dollars than if I make 40,000. Then if you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, so that means wealth that we work for, what you, what you gain every day is unrighteous wealth. It, it's a tool, it's a money, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's not a spiritual gift. It, it, it's what you use to make money, uh, what you're paid. Who will entrust to you the true riches? Now think about this. How you handle your physical money will determine these spiritual gifts, spiritual concepts that are in heaven, come on, that will be used by people who God deems as, you. I can trust you with this. Come on, does that make sense? So I remember being a kid and hearing about spiritual gifts and hearing about all this. Oh my God, God, I want all of them. Because the Bible says desire the spiritual gifts. But man, would it be terrible to have a spiritual gift and no character? Hey, for $25.95, you can come get your miracle. Come on down. Bam. If, so money is a test and how we handle unrighteous wealth puts us in a position to, come on, does that make sense? Okay. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, then who's going to give you your own? 
No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and not the other and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This verse tells us that you can make money, you just can't serve money. It says, that it basically it's telling us that money is not a good master. How you steward the unrighteous wealth will determine the true riches that God deems as this is important. He's not talking about financially getting blessed and, you know, writing checks, yo. He's talking about actually there are some, some, some resources that I have in heaven that I want to give. I want to give. God will test your response to money, not because he's against you, but he wants to begin to bless you. Okay, so there are three ways to overcome the master of money. And so the Bible tells us that we can come under two masters. We can come under him or we can come under the master of money. And so we're going to talk about how to overcome, come on, and win and, and, and beat this master of money. Here's the first thing is it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. And I know, what do you, well, I get up, I work, I, 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 go, I went and got my degree, I work four jobs, I, 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 me, me, me. And before you can pause and take a breath, you can actually think I'm doing it all. But there is a real spiritual battle when it comes to giving. And King David gives us a powerful revelation on, that makes giving simple and not complicated. Psalms 24 verse 1 through 2 says this, And the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and the world, and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the sea and established it on the rivers. In other words, all of our wealth, power, and strength, possessions belong to the Lord. This means every gift, every talent, God owns it all because he created it all. There, for a brief time in history, you get to steward three incredible things. You get to steward your possessions. You get to steward your potential. And you get to steward your pursuits. That's what you get to steward. And so we all know, come on, 100% of us at one time or another are going to pass away. And so for a brief season, we are stewards. The way we see our resources is either it's all God's or it's all mine. Parents have to teach this concept to children when they're little. You don't believe me? Go buy some french fries and give it to a three-year-old. And then run up on them and take one. And I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Some, some, we did French fries. We're old school. You guys, I know you're doing ca uh, carrot sticks and uh, you know fried apple, fry, fry, you know uh, not fried apples, but like uh, so, so dried apples. Uh, and so um, I will tell you that French fries still do taste good, uh, uh, even after all the documentaries. Uh, um, but, but so here's the thing is, listen to this, is um, when, you, when, when you begin to give a child something and they begin to eat it, M&M, fruit, raisins, whatever, and you take one, it is, isn't it funny how quickly they go from happy to, that's mine! 
mine. And you're like, who taught you that? Where did that come from? And it's funny because when we feel like we've been taken what was given to us, and we feel like it's mine, it, 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 it squeezes our human sinful nature, and we have two thoughts. We have the fear that we're not going to have enough or the fear we're going to run out. Now, your three-year-old isn't thinking that deep, but the truth of the matter is that stays with us our whole life. I'm not going to have enough. Who's going to get that? You're eating three cookies and looking to see if anybody's grabbing the other one. You know, it's like, i got to have enough. That's why money is a test. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from movement to movement is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not already his to own already. In other words, it's all God's. God created the world and everything in it. And he, he's in it. He fills it. He owns it. That means all humanity has been created by God and he owns. Come on, listen, it all. We never want to be owned by the things we own. Sure, we want to take care of our stuff. And it's important to take care of our stuff. That's why we, even as our teenagers are getting older, from time to time, we'll walk into their room and say, Hey, notice some clothes on the floor. And they're like, ah, yeah. And I'm like, why are our clothes on the floor? And they're like, excuse me, those are my clothes. And I'm like, excuse me, uh, they're my clothes. I bought them for you because you can't be naked. But I need you to know that you're just moving through the clothes. You're stewarding the clothes because after you outgrow the clothes, we're going to give these clothes to somebody else. And so the reality is you're just stewarding all this and you're just moving through it. <laughs> and it's so funny when they make a little bit of money and they buy their clothes. Oh, it's... Oh, who bought that? Oh, I bought that. Why is it in such a nice hang-up place? And, <laughs> Come on. We all do the same thing. In other words, here's the thought, is that our view of ownership determines our posture of, ob of obedience. In other words, if God begins to put on our heart to give, if we feel like it's mine, then we won't give it and there will be a conflict with God. But if we begin to think it's all his and he says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to give that. Then it's like, absolutely, because I know I'm a steward it and I'm just moving through it until, come on, does that make sense? Here, here's the second thing. Is that we've got to give God what is first and what is best. First and best. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, it says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I just want to pause for a second. This is not even part of the sermon. But I think that so many times we run green lights. We run yellow lights thinking that we've done it all. But every increase that God gives you is a blessing. 
Every open door, I'm, I'm not saying that you didn't work diligently. Every, every, every time you, you, you cross a threshold, like that's when you go, hey, God, thank you. And, and, and Eve and Adam knew that every good thing in their life was from God. It wasn't, you know, thank you, storks. It wasn't, thank you, science. It wasn't, thank you, my own biology. Come on. Thank you, Lord. And again, look at this. She bore his brother Abel, and now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, come on, say, in the course of time. Come on, one more time. In the course of time. There you go. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. Look at this. And his offering had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And I see this all the time. It's very easy for us to become in a posture where we begin to see this is not fair. God, you're playing favorites. Why is Abel getting blessed and Cain's not getting blessed? Because I'm going to be honest. When you look at this, just zoom out. They both looked very close. Both came to worship God. Both came to give. Both wanted what they had to be accepted. Yet we see in a very real way there is a different outcome and a different motive and a different heart between the two brothers. When it came to giving, Cain missed the concept that God receives what is first and what is first is best because what is first is blessed. Does it make sense? And this theme is over and over and over again in the Bible. In fact, even the Ten Commandments, which we understand that, thank you, Jesus, he became the curse for us. We're not under the law. But the Bible also says that God doesn't change. Like, because there's a new covenant, God doesn't go last. God hadn't changed. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are all put me first, honor me first, don't worship anything else, don't have any other images. I want to stay first because I am a jealous God, not toxic jealous, but I am so for you that you picking someone else would be sin. Come on, does that make sense? Katie and I are married. And if one of you guys start coming up and just, hey girl, how you doing? Jealousy is going to come up in me because we are in covenant. Not because I have all of these insecurity issues. When we accept Jesus, or in the Old Testament, when they accepted, the people had to accept the Abrahamic covenant. When they accepted that, they were in covenant. When we accept Jesus, we're in covenant. 
Take all of my sins, pay all of my debt, make me the Lord of my life. We're in covenant. We're married. There is a second Adam, and we are the second Eve. We are now connected. Come on. And, and God is doing something in the body of Christ. Are you with me? Cain, in the process of time, thought, I can pick and choose what I give God. But Abel, out of my first, my first fruit, the first of the flock, I'm going to give you my first because what is first is best. It's holy. And God approved that, and he would not approve Cain's. In other words, you don't get to pick and choose what you give me. I offer what, I will only take what's first. That's why it's very important for us to understand that God's not going to ride shotgun in your life. He's not going to let you do all the driving, do whatever you want to do, and then you give him an honorable mention and go, hey, thanks for co-piloting with my life. Thanks for being in the journey with me. I feel like we've done a lot together. God's like, let me drive. I'll take you on an adventure you never knew. I'll begin to heal your family. I'll begin to break generational curses off your life. I'll begin to free y'all. I'll begin to do something. I'm probably going to drive you into a couple hard moments. But on the other side, it'll be incredibly better. If you let me drive. If you let me drive, I'm going to go into battle. I'm not going to try to steer around it. If you let me drive, I'm going to go into courageous conversations. If you let me drive, we're going to handle the motives of your heart. But if you drive, you're going to only take the roads that make it easy for you. Come on. And so here's the thing. In the course of time, and here's the deal, God was not favoritism. It wasn't like, Abel, you're my boy, and Cain, you're not. God went to Cain and tried to minister to his heart, but his heart was hard. And, and, and God didn't capitulate. He didn't go, man, I know you tried, man. I know you're trying to do good. It's whatever. He was like, listen, I need you to change this. And if you do, you will be received because actually I'm not for Abel and against you. But I cannot accept an offering or a tithe or a gift that is an afterthought. Come on, look at this. Look at this. Paul uh, even writes this in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. He, he, he talks about this, this story. He says, by faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. In other words, by faith, Abel didn't know what God would do, but he knew that God wanted what was first. And so by faith, I'm going to go ahead and give you what's first, not even knowing what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, you're blessing me. But Cain, look at this. Then, then Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, though he is dead, he still speaks. What is, Cain, what, is, what, is, what is Abel still speaking to all of us? This is in the New Testament. In other words, well, I think all, all that's passed away. Abel is still speaking. And what he's saying is God wants what's first. In other words, if I have 10 $100 bills, come on, how much is that? All right, some of y'all are like, I don't know if I want to go to a math church. I don't, I don't really go to churches where you ask me questions. I, I will say you this. Um, uh, the first service was a little bit more like a thousand. And so, uh, come on. If I have 10 $100 bills, how much do, do I have? 
Okay, good. So, if we're not careful, we will begin, money's a test, there are two masters, money, God. If we're not careful, we'll manage our money in such a way where Netflix gets first. Come on. Food gets second. Fast food. Then clothes. Then car. Then house. Then bass boats. Then hunting. Then, oh, and this is what I have left over. Hey, God. All that I want, all that I have left is yours. And God's like, I need you to switch that. If you want my blessing on your 90. And this is why God does this. Listen, God has always wanted to put his people in a position where it logically doesn't make sense. Countless stories in the Old Testament. Hey, Gideon, get an army. Okay, boom, I got a big army. Okay, take everybody down. Find out who laps like a dog. That's your army. Well, I'm getting rid of most of my army. That's right, I really only want you to take 300. Let's go fight. Does not make sense. You're telling me you can bless my 90 and it will be more than 100? That doesn't compute. That's right, it's a test. This story again is in Joshua. When Joshua takes over from Moses, he takes over from Moses, and we're, we're discovering the idea of first and best. Um, Joshua takes over, and there's a whole group of um, uh, Israelites that passed away, and they, they could not go into the promised land. Um, God gave them an opportunity, but they didn't have the faith to go. And so here comes Joshua, and he rises up. And the first thing that God tells Joshua is, hey, I want you to be strong, and I want you to be courageous. In other words, if you're going to go on an adventure with me, you're going to have to be these two things. And so he gets the army ready. He sees a man coming off in the distance, and it is basically the commander of the host of God's army. Just one. Just one knocks out a fortified city. Just one. And so we, they begin to dialogue. And here's what the angel says. Hey, you're going to take your whole people. You're going to go around the outskirt of Jericho. You're going to do it every day for six days, one time. On the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times. And then after the seventh time, you're going to shout and the walls are going to come down. He said, but I have something to tell you. I'm going to do this, and I've already authored it. I just need you to be obedient. But once the walls fall down, I do not want you to take any plunder. I do not want you to take any silver. I do not want you to take any gold. I want you to take nothing because all of that is going to be holy. And here's what happened. There was one soldier named Achan who did not listen and he took some of the plunder and he buried it. So a lot of the army didn't know. They went up and were so excited. They were going to go fight AI. And AI was just a little small. You know what I'm saying? And they got beat. And Joshua falls to his knees. He cries out to God, what has happened? And God said, I told you, don't take any 
of the spoils from Jericho. Somebody in your camp has taken some. So he goes back. He finds out who he is. They take care of that. They give it all to the Lord. And immediately the blessing is on Joshua. And they go 11 and 0. They conquer 11. They win 11 battles. Here's the verse. I want to give it to you. Joshua 6, 19. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are, come on, say this with me, one, two, three, holy to the Lord. And they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. In other words, do not touch what is holy. We even see, if you study the Old Testament, you will see that when they carried the Ark of the Covenant, the ark was holy, and only the priests could carry it on wood planks. And so there's actually a story where the, the, it starts to fall, and someone reaches out and touches it, and they, they die. God so cares about what's holy that he, even if we don't understand it, it doesn't change what it is. What is first, come on, is holy. And this was the first battle in Canaan. And God said, give it all to me first and I will take care of you. Come on, does that make sense? Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of your produce. So when Katie and I get paid, the first thing that we do is we give our tithe. We give our offering. We give first to the Lord and then we manage everything else. So there are things that we do and don't do based on that other amount. But we know that the first thing that goes out is what is blessed. So we don't go eat first. We don't go shopping first. Every time our pay comes in, we give it first to the Lord. That's the first fruits. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there will may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing until it overflows. Here's the thing. We believe that walking in obedience to the Lord begins to put blessings in our life. We're not talking about, oh, oh, bigger houses and bigger cars and whatever. There's a lot of way that blessings flow in our life besides just dollar bills. But it says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The storehouse is the place that, 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 that God is moving in the, in the Old Testament, it was the place that God was inhabiting so that there would be food and the ability to minister in that house. When people come to church, if this isn't your church, fine. This may be a time when you're just here and you're here for two or three Sundays and then you're leaving and going back. But there is something that you bring to the storehouse so that there are resources to help people. And this sermon is not being preached because we are desperate for money. We, we run financially with margin. But the goal is that we believe ministry happens at the frequency 
of when money is given. Well, God owns a thousand, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and it doesn't matter. If he wants to do it, he's going to do it. That's right. And you know what? It's funny to me when people, some people talk that way, and I don't know if you've ever met someone who um, voluntolds other people. It's like, I have this concept about money, and you should do something about it. Instead of, I'm going to do something about it. Well, what's the church doing? What's your, what are you doing? What are you, it's, it's so funny. It's like, okay, okay, hold, hold on. Here's what happens. There, the tithe comes into the storehouse. And we are able to turn money into ministry. And so that tenth part. So right now, even as a church, listen to this. The evangelical church in the United States is giving 3%. 3%. Because there's been so much controversy over giving, now we're all deciding what we should do and how we should do it that I believe there's a direct correlation to giving and what's happening in our society. Because we're now in a situation where we would love to have a house for moms that are uh, pregnant and have nowhere to go. I would love to buy this apartment complexes, all of them, and put people in them and disciple them. But w what does that take? What's that take? I mean, I can't walk over there to that owner and go, hey, guess what? God told me that I want to do that. Would you just give it to me? Now, they may want to, but the truth of the matter is, it's going to take money. To open up a food shelter, it takes what? And so, I have never heard of a heavenly online ATM that God just floats around a debit card and all of a sudden... People who are anointed and appointed, just get it. Just go in there and type in 72124 and whoa! But what I've seen is God use people and put it on people's heart to begin to give. And out of that conversation, all of a sudden, another ministry or moment happens. For us, we've seen marriages, young moms, moms, next generation, and there is food in the house. And I want to give you just a couple of, uh, of just, just views on where we feel like the hand of God is on this ministry. Um, I want to give you some updates. Uh, we have seen 72 people this year complete framework. Come on, that's good. Put your hands together. In this last life group, we had 80 first-time people move into life groups. We are seeing God is using and moving, and, and the food in the house is spiritual food and practical food. The next slide tells us that over the last year, moving buildings, we did outside in the, the parking lot for like four Sundays. We've had 273 connect cards come in. That's prayer request, encounter, moment, people checking out the church, 37 baptisms, 94 people went through framework come on that's good that's good we have seen an increase of like 32 percent on our dream team that means people are saying I want to serve I want to be involved and just so that you know there are two major ways that we get to know you is serving on the dream team 
and, and helping out, serving, and the second is being in life groups. Those are the two primary ways that we get to know who you are. It's too hard to know everybody coming in and out of service. So these are the ways we know people. And, and here's what we're seeing. Go ahead and go to the next one. Is we're seeing people take spiritual next steps. In other words, we're not just open on Sunday, but we're seeing people go through freedom, go through leadership, go through parenting. Listen, as a culture, the church is called to equip the saints. And so I, I, if you've gotten all your parenting advice, come on, listen, I'm going to be honest. From podcast, and there is not a biblical precedence for how... If you've gotten all your marriage advice from Hallmark, we have a great marriage. We just watch a Hallmark movie and we do what they say. Come on. Finances, leadership. We believe there's incredible potential. And so we're seeing people grow. We're seeing people grow. Even this last year. Um, we were, go ahead and go to the next slide. 25, we, our church in the middle of moving and building this building, we still did 25 outreaches in one year. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap for that. The reason I put the online stuff on there is because every time you like something, every time you repost a sermon, every time you post, here's what you, you, you just need to know is when you're friends and occasionally one or two times a year, someone will say, hey, where did you go to church? Oh, I go to the house, whatever. And you may think it, it, it's nothing. But what we have seen is there's like a 20 to 30% where they will go Google what you just said, and they'll watch a couple sermons. I just talked to someone not too long ago that said they watched online sermons for three months before they came. So I'm just saying that, that, that we are actually seeing the gospel advance through discipleship. And here's what I want you to know. I know it's the, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving and a lot of people have turkey, you know, hangover, whatever. Uh, but, but this is the smallest that we're ever going to be. The goal of our church is not bucks and butts. It, it's, not, it's not, you know, money and, 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 and people. That's not all we're counting. Numbers just tell a story, but they're not the story ultimately that we're telling. And so here's the thing that I want you to know. Well, I want to go to a church where I know everybody. That's not going to be this church. Here's what I can promise you. You might not know everybody, but I want to get you in a position where you can know somebody. And I want to get you in a position where you never feel like a table is so off limits to you that you can't sit at it. Does that make sense? So at our church, we feel like there's no cool kid table. But at every new table you sit at, there's new responsibility. And so nobody gets to just roll up at a table and not have responsibility. Just like people don't get to come over for Thanksgiving and not bring a dish. Come on. Some of you are like, well, I didn't bring a dish. Next year. Bring that corn. Open the can. Put the corn in. I brought corn. Come on, faithful in the little, ruler over much. Start with corn, baby. Okay. 
We, we, we uh, partner with Be The One Ministries, and they were able to do both nationally and internationally. What I'm telling you is that we don't talk about outreach. We partner with people who are doing outreach because we want to see the gospel advance, and we want to be better outside the walls than in. This last one I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about is that since the beginning of our church now, I just told you that we saw a rapid increase when we came into the building, okay? So we haven't always been this size. This last six months, God has, we've, we've grown. But in the last six years, we've been able to give over $264,000 away for, for, for missions, outreach, ministry. Come on, that's good. That's good. That's good. And so I, I will tell you this, that, that if you want to know more about kind of our finances and how we do all that, um, um, here's two things that, w- that we do. Uh, three times a year, we send out a quarterly report, and, and we send that out to people who are regular or recurring givers. So we, the, we send that out. To, to, so you should get that in the mail. You should have gotten that. So if our stuff's going to spam or whatever, we send that out. Secondly, we always send out a MailChimp that kind of lets you know what all we're doing. And so that MailChimp may be in your trash box or, or whatever. But every Friday, there's an email that goes out that's letting everybody know what the church is doing. And so if you're not getting that, then I would encourage you to go by the Connect Room because we want to make sure that you are on that. Here's the last one, and we're going to wrap this up. We're talking about how to overcome the master of money. We got to be ready to give exceedingly and abundantly. God brings increase into our life by us listening to what he tells us. These are the thresholds. God begins to put it on our life. Hey, would you give that? Hey, would you do that? Hey, would you courageously step into that? The verse that we, that, that, that I, I often uh, refer to is the Malachi 3.10. It says, bring that whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And look at this. And test me in this. See, it is a test. And, And the Lord says, if I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you until it overflows. We believe that there's tithes and there are offerings. And on December the 4th, we are taking up an offering. It is called the Heart for the House Offering. And um, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Well, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, many people have been impacted by the teaching, the ministry, the life groups, the community. I can't tell you how many baby showers and how many showers we throw through our life groups. People are receiving ministry. So, people often say, okay, what is the house off, Heart for the House offering going toward? Will you put that up there real quick? So, the Heart for the House offering goes to four areas. Four areas. It goes to campus expansion, leadership development, debt reduction, and outreach. So I want to talk to you about one of our initiatives that we're looking at. We have a list that's, that's long. I mean, obviously, we want to see uh, a playground out here. We want to see, we have 6,000 square feet of, of space up here that we need classrooms and office space. When we built this building, we only, we only put in one office. And so our staff just kind of meets and, and we just kind of take, we just steal rooms. But 
actually life groups would go to a whole nother level if we had four other rooms there. But our first initiative is we created this church. We built it where that back, the kids area that is secure, both bathrooms have a shower in it. And so if our community needed, like we know that tornadoes come through and we want to be ready. We're not hoping it comes, but if it does come, we want to be ready. So we can clear out all of that stuff and people can stay, they can shower, they can do. We want to have a kitchen. If you walk down this aisle, this, this, this hallway, there is a, a room that's just been sheetrocked and it's ready to go. But we want to put in a kitchen that can serve, come on, community, can serve and host things that we're doing here. And so um, that is, that's a Venahood, a fire suppression system, refrigerator, freezer, ice maker, warmer, three compartment sink. I mean, all of that is money. And so when we priced it, it's about $65,000 to get that finished. We could use that for the summer. We could use that for missionaries. We could use that for the community. And so we're asking you to say, okay, I'm going to pray about what God would have me do. The roof. We, we did such, uh, we built such on a budget that we knew there were things that we would do as we went forward. And so the roof was one of the things that we found out towards the middle of the project that was going to be an extra expense. So as we save money, as we build, we're going to take care of the roof. And so we want you to feel the presence of God, but we don't want you to feel rain. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that, that's kind of a, uh, a goal for us. Leadership development. We want to have interns. We want to have people that we're discipling. And so there are three major focuses that I feel like God's going to move us into in the next coming years. And that is we are going to train marketplace leaders. We are going to train missionaries. And we are going to train ministers. Those are three things that I really feel like God's grace is on our life for. And so already we saw the record number of business owners from when we started already climb. And we want to coach them. We want to help them win. And so we really feel like the favor is on our life. But we, we want to invest in that. Debt reduction, just so you know, when we pay every month for uh, our mortgage, uh, we are already putting extra money onto the principal. Every month, we're putting a little bit of extra on the principal to get that paid down. And outreach. Listen, we want to be able to fund some new ideas. We want to be able to get out in the community. And uh, I would encourage you, if you care about outreach, you care about doing that, I would go by the Connect Room. Uh, we have a couple that's leading that and a whole team. And we've got three or four outreaches coming up uh, as we move on. But we're asking for you to ask God. So here's the takeaway. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And He isn't trying to expose us. He's trying to prepare us. The culture of the kingdom is generosity. So here's today's secret. Passing the test of money prepares you for increase. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the House website. We hope you have a great week.